Morning, everyone. How do you like my hat, by the way? Uh, it was a gift from a dear friend of mine who lives in New Delhi in India. Uh, I don't see him nearly often enough, but this Himachal Topi reminds me of him. Uh, maybe some of you read my email and you're wearing a special item too. Uh, the joy of online preaching is that I imagine you all are, so I don't feel too silly. And the reason for the fancy dress is that we're going to be looking at a passage about clothes, uh, Jeremiah chapter 13. Uh, but before we go there, I'm just going to take off my hat so I don't distract you too much. And then I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Father, as you speak to us today, open our ears to hear your word and incline our hearts to obey it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, a bit of context first. Uh, Jeremiah brought the word of God to the small kingdom of Judah in the final decades of its existence before Nebuchadnezzar came down from Babylon and destroyed it. Jeremiah's listeners were once the most privileged people in the world. God himself had plucked them out of slavery and brought them into a beautiful land. <clears throat> then he gave them basically the keys to life, an instruction book for happiness called the covenant. And the basics of the covenant are simple. God says, I've given myself to you. Just give yourselves back to me and you'll know joy and safety and honor for the rest of your days. Well, tragically, once the people had received God's love, they decided they didn't want to know him. When Jeremiah warned them what would happen, they tried to kill him. And today's passage shows us just how far God was prepared to go to make sure they got the message. Now, a little spoiler alert here, they didn't get the message. We're about to read the story of a failed sermon, actually. But this failed sermon got written down. And it was written down for the benefit of the Judean exiles in Babylon, people who were wrestling with what had happened to them and finally, finally receptive to the long ignored words of the prophet. So let's join those readers in spirit and read Jeremiah 13 verses 1 to 11. <clears throat> this is what the Lord said to me. <clears throat> Go and buy a linen belt and put it round your waist, but do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed and put it round my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing round your waist and go now to Perath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Perath as the Lord told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, go now to Perath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Perath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I'd hidden it, but now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound round the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord. 
to be my people for my renown and praise and honour, but they have not listened. Now, before we take a look at this drama, there's just one little thing to clear up. What was Jeremiah wearing? Uh, my Bible called it a belt. Uh, some Bibles call it a loincloth. One even, uh, unfortunately, I think, says undergarment. But almost certainly it was some kind of beautiful garment worn around the waist and visible to everyone. So I'm going to just call it a sash, right? as George said at the beginning. Uh, if your Bible's got something else, that's okay. It still works, but just go with me for now. A sash. Now, Jeremiah was one of the great preachers of history. Uh, but this sermon is pretty amazing, even for him. It's basically, I don't know if you noticed, it's like a three-part mini-series. And the actor, as often is the case, I think, has no idea how it's going to end when the series begins. Right? Each step comes as a word from God, which Jeremiah repeats in public while he carries it out. And I think we're supposed to visualize Jeremiah walking through the marketplace, right, gathering a crowd and telling them, hey, everyone, this is what the Lord said to me, go to the linen boutique. Right? Then he gets to the shop. And then it's like, this is what God said, buy a sash. So he gets out his purse, he haggles with a shopkeeper, and he buys this beautiful hand-painted designer sash. And that is, this is what the Lord told me, guys. Put it on, round your waist, keep it dry, look after it well. Then Jeremiah goes home and everyone sort of scratches their head. What was that about? Well, another day arrives and it's time for episode two. Jeremiah comes out dressed in his sash. Now, this is what the Lord told me, everyone. Take the sash, go to Perath, stash it in a crack in the rocks. Now, in the Bible, the river Perath, is the Euphrates. It's the river where Nebuchadnezzar won his first great victory. But this here is not the river Perath, it's just Perath. It's probably a local watercourse. It's actually mentioned in the book of Joshua, about five k's from Jeremiah's home. And I think its name is letting it play the part of that ominous river, a thousand k's to the north, which they would one day cross on their way to exile. Now, the first readers of this sermon, as we've said, they lived in exile and no doubt they were able to put two and two together. But Jeremiah's listeners, once again, they're just left scratching their heads. What is this? Well, by the time the season finale comes to air, people, I'm guessing, have probably forgotten all about the series. Let's see what verse six says. Many days later, Jeremiah steps out, uh, sashless. And he calls out, hey, everyone, the Lord said to me, go to Perath and get your sash back. And they're like, oh, yeah, forgot about that. Come on, let's check it out. And of course, over the weeks and months, this poor sash had got rained on and submerged in muddy waters from flash flooding and, and moldy and nibbled. Uh, the two words in verse seven capture it perfectly. Ruined, meaning yucky and completely useless, meaning basically it doesn't work anymore. You know, there's no way this is going to hold anyone's robes neatly in place now. So now at last comes the point of the sermon. God says, remember when this was new? 
This was the pride of Judah, the great pride of Jerusalem. And this is what I'm going to do to it. You know, something I find slightly scary about this sermon is how long it took to preach. <clears throat> what I mean is, this is a God who doesn't mind taking six months to make a single point. And that level of patience is not promising if you're hoping he might just perhaps forget what you did or get distracted from his purpose. <laughs> this is an ominous time span. Um, so what about Jeremiah's listeners? What about Judah? What did they do? Look at verse 10. I'm going to read it again. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. That's actually a quote from Deuteronomy. It describes a very specific type of person. Uh, this is a person who knows that they're special. They know that God delivered them from Egypt and blessed them with a the land. They know that God has given them everything. But instead of giving everything back to him in gratitude, they would prefer to follow other gods. Now, for an Israelite, that was basically a way of trying to take back control of your own life, right? of making you, not God, the one in charge. It was a way of saying yes to your baser instincts of worshipping power and wealth and food and safety. And what God is saying is that a people like that are a failed people. But they are about as effective at being God's people as this strip of rotten linen is as effective at being a belt. To see why, you just have to compare what the people have become with what they once were. Look at verse 11 again. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honour, but they have not listened. This is what God meant when he called the belt the pride of Judah. Now that beautiful sash that Jeremiah bought was a picture of what Israel looked like when they were bound tight around their Lord. Now that points to closeness, of course, but it also suggests conformity. What I mean is God caused the people to take on his shape. Not like a sash takes on the shape of the body it's tied around. What shape is that? And it's a shape that, uh, according to the verse 11, draws three responses out of anyone who sees it. And at first, they recognize it as the shape of God. They see his people and they say, oh, so that's who God is. And secondly, they respond to that in praise. That's who God is? Wow, what an amazing, what a unique God. And thirdly, they relay their admiration to the world. You know, God's fame and his royal splendor becomes the talk of the world and all creation eventually pays him homage. That is what God's people should have looked like. And the people were called the pride of Judah because when you look at them, they should look amazing. Right? The nations should gaze in amazement at their wealth and strength, the harmony of their society, the way they care for the vulnerable, their wisdom, and recognize that the God who loved them was like no other God. 
But as it happens, their corruption, their greed, their, their stupidity, their ingratitude tells the world such terrible lies about God that the sooner they rot in exile, the better. Well, that's Jeremiah's sermon. Now I want to finish with two reflections, uh, one about God and one about us. What I love about this uh, particular sermon is that Jeremiah shows us a God who clothes himself with his people. A God who clothes himself with his people. Now in real life Israel, the instrument that bound them to God like this was the covenant. Right? Its laws were designed to make Israel God-shaped and fill them with his life. Sometimes in the Bible, Israel is exhorted to bind themselves to God. But what I, I find this image so precious because it shows us that the covenant is not this dry legal arrangement. It's an active expression of God's love. It's something he uses to bind his people to himself, to make them beautiful with his own beauty. Well, tragically, the people of the old covenant were so corrupt that they were basically unwearable. Their lives of uh, idolatry, self-seeking made them rot and stink. But praise be to God, we are members of the new covenant. That's something else altogether, isn't it? It's a covenant in Christ's blood. Blood that, as we love to sing, washes away all my guilty stains. And that means some pretty amazing things for us, doesn't it? Now, the church consists of people just as fallen and fickle as Israel was. But the work of Christ lets the image of this linen sash be reversed. And in the power of the Spirit, God's people can now put on Christ. Remember what Paul tells the Galatians. It says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What does that look like? Remember what Paul says as he spells it out to the Colossians. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, when you are clothed with Christ, you become that gorgeous linen sash. And God can't wait to put you on. Like Israel, Christ's church exists for God's renown and praise and honour. God is the one who gets the credit for what the world sees in his church. And nothing is more harmful to the church's witness than having to apologize to the world and explain that God is not like us. That is so terrible. Now, what we damage is the glory, renown, and honor of God himself. So, why the clothes? Well, I want to encourage you sort of at a practical level next time you get dressed up for a zoom dinner date or maybe 
even a real celebration in an actual restaurant. Uh, enjoy how good your clothes make you look. And then I want you to stop for a moment and ask yourself, how good are you making God look these days? What about as a church? Next time you go to church online or in the flesh, you notice what people are wearing. I don't imagine it will be as special as my hat, but it doesn't matter. Ask yourself, when God clothes himself with my church, how good does he look? How good does he look? Do people recognize who God is when they look at us? Do they see his shape beneath us? The compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and love of Jesus? Is it like suddenly the God we keep talking about starts making sense to them? Let's clothe ourselves in Christ so that God can wear us with pride and the world can marvel at his splendor.